Lord, I just pray that you will be in him today and that we will hear your voice. And Dave would be encouraged by that too. And Lord, that we would know your blessing here and we would hear what you've got to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. And thanks, Ian. That last song was pretty high, wasn't it? <laughs> I picked that one, sorry about that. You're very welcome. Um, we've been going through a series over the last couple of months now on the Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew chapter 5, we've joined Jesus on this hill, um, and he's laying out his manifesto of how the kingdom of God under Jesus' rule can and should look like in the lives of those people who follow Jesus, who are apprentices of Jesus, who are disciples of Jesus. And for the first several weeks, we looked at the early parts of chapter 5, the Beatitudes, and also many of Jesus' pearls of wisdom that he was dropping on his audience. And for those of us who have been here for a while, listen, you probably noticed that Jesus started or prefaced a lot of those sayings with, you have heard it said, referencing Jewish tradition, the Old Testament scriptures. You have heard it said, you will understand it to be this way, but I now tell you, and Jesus introduces a new way of interpreting those scriptures to apply to the lives of his followers. So that was in chapter 5. And then we hit chapter 6, and Jesus starts to change the way that he prefaces his statements. And instead of saying, you have heard it said, but, he then becomes much more direct in the way that he starts each instruction. And he starts with a commandment. He starts by saying, do not, don't. And in chapter 6, we, for the last six weeks, we've been looking at the do nots that he's been um, instructing his followers. So we looked at, do not make a show of your acts of generosity, financial generosity. Do not pray where you can be seen so that you can seek the accolades of men. Do not look miserable when you're fasting and do not invest everything that you have in the here and now, your resources for what you see and what you feel, but have an eternal perspective on where you invest. And then last week, we looked at do not worry. Do not worry how we are going to make it through the day because we have a heavenly Father who cares and provides for us. For us. So today, we come to the last of the do nots in chapter 6 before Jesus changes tack a little bit. And we've got a doozy of one today because today we're going to be looking at verses, in chapter 7, um, verses 1 to 6. Verses 1 to 6. And Jesus starts by saying, do not judge. So chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. We'll read it together. Do not judge, Jesus says, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred, 
Do not throw pearls to pigs, and if you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. If ever there has been a more appropriate time in society to hear these words, do not judge, well, we can be challenged that it's now. With social media, we're invited every single day with every post to make a judgment on that post for good or for bad. I don't know if you've noticed in the media, but even on television, many articles in press or on our screens are inviting us to make an immediate judgment, a personal judgment on what we're viewing. So whether it's a show like Big Brother or The X Factor or Love Island, where we vote to see what happens to the people, um, or um, a plethora of the other knockout things that we, we come across on our screens, we are always being barded by request to make a judgment on somebody. But at the same time, our culture has become increasingly tolerant of all opinions. Um, maybe our, our brother and sister from America would notice it even more in the States. Um, and we're encouraged to be able to absorb all things from all people. And I personally think this is generally a good thing. Society becomes better when we become more tolerant. But woe betide you if you take a stance on something that is popular in culture because you have values that is different to that culture. Uh uh uh. You can't judge me because if you judge me, you're going to be judged. Has anyone come across that? Yeah. It's become a bit of a hotbed of controversy. When we sit around our dinner table, we've got a lot of people in our house at the moment. We talk about the day and what's been going on, the people that we meet. And if I ever make a judgment about some of the clients that I might work with or some of the people that I've met, my kids regularly use this phrase, judge much. It's not good that we judge in this current society. But is this passage, is this passage talking about that kind of judgment? Well, I think as we look through it together, we'll find, oh well, let's see where we go. I think we need to have a closer look at what Jesus is saying here. See, Jesus, Jesus is so clever. He's so perceptive when he's delivering this information to his followers, this guidance to his disciples. And when Jesus uses his words, Jesus' words are not powerless. They're not impotent. Jesus has an amazing ability to get right to the core of the issue. And in fact, through the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen it. We've probably felt it if we've been present for these sermons. I've gone away feeling, I missed what Jesus was saying here. There's things in my life that needs to change. And here Jesus is pointing out the core of the issue. So firstly, what I would say is that this, these verses are not pointing to a life where we don't make any judgment decisions at all. That wouldn't be natural, would it? And if you look at the life of Jesus, actually, he was regularly making judgment on those people around him. He, of all people on the receiving end of his judgment, the religious leaders at the time would have known this critically. Jesus also judged his own disciples when they didn't get what his purpose and his mission was. He called them fools. Jesus even judged a fig tree when it didn't deliver fruit for him. And if we look at the Old Testament, 
all throughout the Old Testament, God appointed people to be responsible for the, the, the children of Israel to lead them, to guide them, to make judgments for them so that they would have the right passage through their history. In fact, one well, part of the Old Testament is even called the Book of Judges. So it can't be that God, in his character, doesn't judge. In fact, throughout Psalms and the prophets, we regularly God being described as a judge. Jesus, uh, Paul references Jesus and said that there will be a judgment seat of Christ, where Christ will sit in our seat of judgment in the future to come. And even in verse 15 and 16 of this chapter later on, Jesus instructs his disciples to make a judgment on the words that come from a prophet to see whether they're false or whether they're true. So it's not that we can't make judgment decisions. That's what Jesus is talking about. And it goes against what our cultural norm is at the moment. So there must be, logic says, there must be right occasions where we can use our God-given and our spirit-sharpened sense right calls on things. I don't know if you noticed in this passage that when Jesus starts talking about the person with a log in his own eye, it hasn't removed the fact that the person who he's making a judgment on has a speck in his. So he still has an issue, doesn't he, this other person? He still has a problem with his eyesight. But Jesus is talking about something different. Jesus says in this, and you've probably picked up on this, for you to be able to make a right-minded decision on someone else's behavior, something needs to happen first. And in this illustration that Jesus used, you've got to deal with the issue that is causing your own blindness before you can deal with the person's blindness in the person in front of you. And I think Jesus here is trying to convey this idea that not that you shouldn't make a judgment, but the way you make your judgment shouldn't be rash, it shouldn't be harsh, and it shouldn't be hypocritical. And that's the key thing. Jesus, at one point, some religious leaders bought a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. And the religious leaders would have had every right under the law to punish this person. They bring this lady to Jesus and they ask him what they should, they should do about it. And Jesus' response is very similar to what he's talking about here. What does he do? In that story, he says to the religious leaders, you who are innocent can throw the first stone. And they all walked away mumbling. And I think this, this is reflecting a little bit of the, the heart of God around how we should make judgments on people. I think we need to deeply, deeply analyze our own posture before we even start to make a decision or a judgment on other people. And the first thing I've noted is that judging correctly and judgmentalism are two very different things. I don't know if you study or you work or you live amongst people who are hyper-judgmental. Um, I've known people like that. 
And I don't find those people very attractive. Do you? No. I wonder sometimes why people get that way. And possibly, possibly why I am that way as well. And maybe some of you are. And the root of it, I wonder whether it's an insecurity in your own identity. And so because we feel insecure in ourselves, it makes us, it's easier for us to make ourselves and puff ourselves up and make ourselves bigger by passing a judgment on someone lesser than us so we can make ourselves feel better. But I think this, as followers of Jesus, indicates a problem. That our insecurity moves us further away from understanding the identity, the full identity of our, our personage in Jesus. And where does our security come from? But the flip side of being unattractive and being hyperjudgmental is just how beautiful and attractive someone who is full of grace and mercy and kindness and gentleness and love. And I know people like that too. In fact, I'm looking at many of them. Jesus said, didn't he, in chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I was listening to a, a, a podcast recently that really helped me to contrast someone who's hyper-judgmental with someone who is full of forgiveness and grace. And there was a doctor in Bristol back in the, the noughties who randomly was assaulted in his own house by a man who attacked him with a knife and severely injured him. And it was, it was a completely random attack. And the, 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 the offender was caught and eventually he was taken to court and tried and was found guilty. And as is often the case in these circumstances, the victims are allowed to to give a victim impact statement. Have you heard of those things where they can talk about how it has made a difference to their lives having had the crime committed against them? And this doctor, his name was um, Adam Towler. He stands before the person who assaulted him and actually changed his life because of the injuries. And he said these words to uh, the offender. I'm not angry with you. And I respect our lives equally. Killing shouldn't be a human thing. I feel a great sense of sadness that I still have free, all my freedom and you have none. I wonder if you had just made a massive mistake that night. When I compare my position to yours, it doesn't seem fair. And I know that that's really hard to understand. I don't know how this man, this man could do that. But the judge, in his summing up before he sentenced the offender, he said about the doctor um, that he was a man not just of great intellect, but the judge envied his faith. And it turned out this doctor was a follower of Jesus. And I think that is something that we can take heart in is if we find it easy to criticize and judge people, that God can change our hearts and in this case, mercy, love, forgiveness, gratitude, selflessness, faith, and confidence in God, our identity sewn up in him, are all beautiful medicine to us if we find ourselves becoming hypercritical. When I look at Jesus in the New Testament, 
Jesus was not unattractive. And in fact, people who would normally have avoided the religious people of the time were attracted to Jesus. There was something about his nature that exuded grace and that people would come to him because they felt they would never be judged in a judgmental way. And how much more attractive the church should be than outside of the church in the way that we deal with people who are on the fringes, who are different to normal, that we, like Jesus, would attract people to him because of our love and our lack of judgmentalism. When I started working at a a, a charity that helped people in addiction, I was really deeply challenged because I had my own prejudices around people who get caught up in alcoholism and drug abuse. And I worked with these people. In the first two weeks, I wanted to leave because these recovery workers were welcoming in people who, quite frankly, I had no idea of how to deal with. And they were not just welcoming them, they were loving them, and they were treating them, and they were helping them to put their lives back in order. And that was attractive. And I wanted to be like that. I wanted to be someone like that. And I want to be more like Jesus. And we want, as a church to be more like that to the world around us, don't we? We want to be helping people to be attracted to the love of God. So the first thing was that I noted was that others correctly and judgmentalism are two different things. The second thing I picked up in this text is that Jesus uses the description of a brother. I don't know if you noticed that. There's a relational element between the two men in this story. And I wonder, and you might wonder this too, if because Jesus is talking to his group of followers, that this command, do not judge, is specifically aimed for people inside the family of God. They weren't strangers. They were related. I think the church doesn't have a great track record in this area, do we? If we're honest... But when it's done well, when correction and guidance of each other, fellow brothers and sisters, I think this is a counterbalance to approaching how we judge harshly. And it comes from starting with a humble spirit and counting the health of that person who we are making a a judgment on higher than our own. Paul emphasizes this when he's talking to the church Um, that you need to get yourself into a right position before you can cast a criticism on other people. In the letter to the church in Galatia, in chapter 6, he says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. And then he says, But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. So even Paul got this idea that to put yourself in a position to rightly and correctly help someone who is in a situation of difficulty or who needs correcting, you have to watch yourself first. In the same way that the man with the log in his eye had to analyze and remove the log in his eye so that he could help the person with a speck of dust in his eye. So verses 1 to 5 in this passage, I think, are encouraging us to make sure that our own position and attitude are correct before we even start to think about dealing with the attitudes of those around us. 
But then in verse 6, it changes. Could you go, Nigel, on to the next slide, please? Has anyone ever read this passage and found this a bit, little bit clunky? Yeah? I did too, because this goes together, the way that the, the Bible has been translated, these, these texts go together. But it seems a bit strange that Jesus transitions from this do not um, about judgment, and then he starts talking about giving to dogs and pigs what is, um, what is sacred. And traditionally, a lot of commentators say that this is referencing sharing the knowledge of the gospel, the good news of Jesus with others, I'm not sure if that sits well in the context of this passage. Um, and so, I, this is just my opinion. I'm open to challenge on this, and I really am. But when you look at, as you're reading through chapter 6, and then into chapter 7, um, when Jesus is instructing his followers, he's talking to them about their internal motivations and their external behavior, and the contrast between those. And as we've been finding out, as we've been studying this together, what comes from the inside travels to the outside. And actually, Jesus is always focusing on the intent, the heart issue, and the motivation, rather than the outworking of that. So why did he say this here? And my thoughts on this are possibly this. And I'd love to, if you want to chat to me afterwards, Jesus moves away from this internal family relationship of dealing with unclean elements. But he does move towards this idea that if we are to judge gently, to correct kindly inside the church family, there will be times where you can be 100% right and the other person could be 100% wrong. But it isn't appropriate for you to say anything. You could be 100% right, and they could be 100% in error, but it won't be right to say anything. Because if they're not ready to receive that, you're wasting your breath. And so therefore, on those occasions, it is better to say nothing. Do not cast this wisdom to the street dogs. Do not put this in front of the pigs, because they're not going to listen. And I think a lesson for us as followers of Jesus is that we are very good at quickly trying to judge people and to give them advice and to give them correction. And sometimes people aren't going to listen to it and it's better to just keep quiet. So Jesus, as our model, was 100% right all the time. But did he always answer people? Did he always give time to people? Oh, no, not all the time. So maybe that's a thought for us. We may be even now seeing people that are maybe doing something that's not up to the standard that we would normally expect. But it might not be right at this time to say anything. Get our hearts right first. Sort out our own situation. Remove the log in our own eye so that maybe we can deal with the speck in theirs. So to wrap up, my observation is, is that as we mature in following Jesus, we should be getting better at this. But actually, 
for many of us as we get older, we actually get more critical than we were t 10 years ago. Things irritate us more now in what we see in others than they ever did. And actually, we go the opposite way of how Jesus is trying to train his disciples to grow and be transformed. I liken it to being like the older brother in the parable of the, the two sons. So the younger son has gone wayward and he comes back and the dad is so welcoming and loving. He runs to meet him. And the older brother who's been there all the time, he looks at it and he's bitter and he's twisted about it. How can God be so generous and kind and forgiving? To I've been here all the time. And I wonder, as we mature and walk this journey with Jesus, and we've been on it for a long time, that we can also harbor that same intent inside us, that how can this person who walks through the door for the first time get so much grace and love when I've been here for so long? And I've seen it in myself, and that often it's the little things that become irritants to us. So I'll reveal a little bit of Dave's heart to you today. I'm, I'm generally very patient in a lot of areas, but there is one area in my house that really gets me going, and it's Tupperware. For those who don't know what Tupperware is, it's plastic pots. I, I take a packed lunch to work, and we've got a, a cupboard with plastic pots in. Well, we have a cupboard with plastic bottoms in, but there are no plastic lids. And, yeah, this, of all things that gets me so wound up in the house, it's this pettiness about the small thing. This is a speck, because when I go to find a box and there's no lid, it gets me. But I'm quite happy to leave my clothes all over the floor for Julie to pick up. Quite happy to leave food unleft on the top. You know where I'm going with this. And I think as a church, we can be, we've got to guard against this, that the little things that are... Secondary things do not overtake the primary things, and we don't let them dominate the way that we view our brothers and sisters. NIV versus the King James. You come across trouble with that in the past? Hymns versus modern worship songs. Men wearing hats in church. Women not wearing hats in church. The music's too loud. The music's too quiet. The way other churches do church, the way parents parent their children, the way my kids parent their kids, it's so easy, isn't it, to go the wrong way. So easy to pick fault. And I wonder if that reflects that our own transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit of God in us isn't quite as advanced as we thought it was. And there is scope for Jesus still to work in our lives. I'm better than him. Maybe not as good as him. There's always a standard that we measure ourselves against. By the measure that you are measured, it will be measured against you. So Jesus says, if you want to be a judge, beware. Make sure you're in the right place yourself. The good news is, is that Jesus can still change us. It's an ongoing process. We can get it right if we get ourselves right before God first. And then we can exercise the fruit of the Spirit that God puts in us of love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. All of those things, they can come to play when we help others 
you're in error. So I hope that's given you some food for thought. I hope you don't feel too condemned, or maybe you should. I condemn myself. But let's pray, and let's ask God to help us as we go into the week ahead. Maybe some of us are facing those kind of attitudes in our workplace. Maybe we're facing it in our family. Maybe we're facing it in our relationships with our closest ones. in our brother or our sister or our husband or wife or our colleague. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you that Jesus is able to illuminate the hidden corners of our heart. And it is uncomfortable at times. And we ask, first of all, for forgiveness where we have got this so wrong. And we ask for forgiveness where we will continue to get it wrong, because we will, because, God, we need you more than we think we need you to make this change in us. And we ask for your Holy Spirit's help to to really analyze our our intent and our, our motivation when we're thinking about how our hearts are so critical of other people. God, help us to judge well. Help us not to be judgmental. But help us to be wise in the way that we deal with others. Father, we are so grateful that Jesus is attractive. And we've found him so attractive that we've cast our whole lot in with him. That he welcomed us as we... We identified who he was for the first time. Father, thank you for the work of the Spirit in us. And God, we need more of that. We want to be people that make Jesus attractive to others, that they might encounter life in him as we experience life in him for ourselves. So Father, forgive us and help us and bless us as we head into the week ahead. God, you're going to put things in front of our past this week and I pray that you would just prompt a little voice in our head as we deal with one another that we might do it well. For the glory of Jesus amongst us and amongst our wider community. We pray that in his name. Amen. So we're going to sing one more song together before we have tea and coffee. Uh, So if you'd like to stand and sing. And we'll end...